If you believe the news, Alan was just a regular guy. You probably wouldn't recognize him if you saw him. Nothing special necessarily stood out about him. Nothing was amazing about Alan except, well, to the amusement of his friends, he was a really thrifty guy. In fact, he was known for his frugality. He worked three jobs sometimes and put that money away and squirreled it away every chance he got. He bought his clothes at a discount store. He bought his meat at the end of the day, negotiating at the deli counter at the grocery store. Frugality. That's what Alan Naaman was known for. And in fact, we wouldn't know his name at all except for what happened at the end of his life. You see, Alan died earlier this year at the beginning of the year of cancer, at the age of 63. And just a few months ago, checks started arriving at charities in Alan's name. Alan, who had been a social worker, never made a lot of money, had left over $11 million to children's charities here in the United States. Interesting story. So, of course, the news was reported on it. Who could believe such a thing that a, a man could live his whole life and amass this money and then just give it away? Well, I read the articles about it. It's been in the news for the past couple of days. It's a pretty neat story, don't you think? And the news is trumpeting it as this amazing thing that this guy did this. Except if you read the stories, his friends all knew he was that guy. His friends knew he was extremely generous already. That he would uh, write checks to charities on a regular basis. Large checks despite what he made for a living. That's what he valued, and they knew that. Now, the news, of course, had to bury that way down in the stories. In fact, when you read the stories, it's not even mentioned in all of them. But in NPR, it mentions that interviews with his friends say, this man wrote a $10,000 check here and there to various charities that did good work with children. See, Alan's life was a testament in time to what he believed. I mean, we know him now. I've never met him personally, but, well, darn it, I think he's kind of a cool guy if he did that. And his life was a testament to what he believed in. He lived frugally that he might give to somebody else. Now, talk about time. We've been going through this series, The Countdown to Christmas, and somebody said this morning, but Christmas is over. Excuse me, but the 12 days of Christmas start at Christmas and end on January 5th. So we're still officially in Christmas. Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> so we've been going through this countdown to Christmas, and this is the last of this series. We've counted down backwards through Jesus' life, looking at how in the fullness of time, as the verse in Galatians says, God had this plan to make things happen. And Jesus was the plan. We've counted down through his life to his birth, which we talked about on Christmas Eve. And now we jump ahead, past the end of his life, because Christmas didn't start at his birth, and it didn't start at his death, or it didn't stop at his birth, and it didn't stop at his death. It continues on now. You see, Christ had this message that was planned for that specific time in history. 
and this message that was going to go out and spread and change the world. As we know it has, we're all sitting here because of that message today. He told them, it says at the end of Luke, he says, these are my words that I've spoke to you while I am still with you. And everything that has been written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds, his disciples, to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day raise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. He says, this will begin in Jerusalem and you will be the witnesses to these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. Stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. So final words of Jesus to his disciples after his death and resurrection, he's telling them, look, this is what's got to happen. Something amazing is about to happen. I want you to just wait here for a moment, but there's going to be a point in time when this message of salvation is going to be proclaimed to all of the nations. Now, we'll tell you the rest of that story beginning next week because we're going to start in the book of Acts. As a church, we're going to go through the book of Acts and learn how the church grew, how this message spread, how it all happened that ultimately we would be here today because somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told the person who told me. God had this plan. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law to redeem us so that we might be, receive adoptions as sons and daughters of God. God's plan had a set time, and there are moments of it that have unfolded through history. It's interesting to look at the point in time that he chose there. In the Roman Empire, when Jesus was born in Israel. Now, Israel is kind of a key crossroads. In and of itself, it's not all that important. It didn't have a whole lot that anybody really wanted other than the fact that it was in the way if you were on your way to either Egypt or Africa or if you were going the other way to go through to Rome or to go through to Asia. Whatever happened, you had to go through Israel. And so as the Roman Empire conquered the whole known world at that time, all around the Mediterranean, Israel became important because people just were traveling back and forth through there every different way. The Romans had built some 50,000 miles of roads. I mean, as a history buff, I, you know, I just love history stuff. It's intriguing to me that they had built roads all the way from Rome all the way to Great Britain all the way up to Germany, all the way down and around to Egypt, all the way over to where modern-day Iraq is. They had roads just spreading out everywhere like never before. Travel was something that you could do. They had a common language, Koine Greek. You could go anywhere in this empire and you could speak to somebody. Now, we don't really get that today because we live in the United States and pretty much everybody speaks English. You go around the world and visit places around the world and you can probably find someone that speaks English. But much of the world through history has not been that way. I had an interesting conversation talking with Dennis, uh, who's here visiting from Afghanistan as, as a missionary, and just talking about how you go through parts of India or parts of Afghanistan and 
you go from one village to the next, you go 50 miles down the road, and they don't speak the same language. You can't communicate with them in the language that you speak. Tribalism has been the way of the world through most of history, and still in a lot of the world is true. You don't travel because there's no point in going to the next village down the road. There's no point in going to another city because you don't speak the language. You won't be able to communicate, and they won't understand you. But here at this time, this fullness of time, God's plan worked because at this point in history, you could spread a message around an empire. You could take the word of God out and people could understand it everywhere you go. People could actually read. Literacy rates in the Roman Empire were calculated somewhere about 20 to 25 percent. Isn't that amazing? That's another thing that we just don't really grasp. I mean, we go to school. From elementary school on, we're learning to read here in the United States. That's not always been true in history. What's more, they even had a job called the amanuensis. It was somebody who could write letters for you or he could read them to you. And so if you were anywhere near a city at all or even big towns, there was somebody in town who could read and you could go write a letter and send it to your brother in another city or send it to a friend somewhere who had traveled on and you could get that message out. I mean, that's powerful stuff. God's plan occurred in the fullness of time. It occurred in a time when these things were all primed to do amazing things. It was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, that spread over this whole region that made it possible for people to get on the roads and take this message of a Savior to others. It's a life-changing message to be proclaimed to the nation. And that's what we're going to talk a lot more about in Acts. But you got to think, this, this point in time in history gave us some more information on why this message was so powerful and how it spread. Do you know why the message of the church spread to the world? Have you ever really thought about that? I mean, sure, I can walk on the road now and I can... I can write letters and there's the common language and all these things I just talked about. But why did this message grow so much so fast? Now, the easy answer to that question is because God made it happen. But there was something about it. Life change. These Christian people at this point in time were weirdos. There's a few of those today too. These Christian people were weird. Things were different. They broke down barriers that separated social networks and connections. This, this message of Christ went out among the poor as well as the rich. Barriers of money and class had no place in this weird, strange religion. This message of a savior that was being spread. Because the rich and the poor could believe in this Christ. And in fact, the poor were called as slaves to work hard for their masters. That to be a sign that they were followers of Christ. Ephesians 6.5 and Colossians 3.22 tells them to work for their masters on earth as if they were serving the Lord. How different from those people who worked begrudgingly. 
but these people who would work with all their heart because they're not so worried about the earthly master. They're following their heavenly master. And it doesn't just run that direction because the poor are instructed in 1 Timothy, those that are rich in the world, to not be conceited or to fix their hope on their riches, but to focus on God who richly supplies them all they enjoy. And, and to instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So money barriers were different. Class barriers were different. They were broken down for this Christian religion. Those weren't the only barriers that were broken down either. Because up to then, if you were a Jew, you hung out with other Jews. If you were a follower of Zeus or Apollo, you hung out with those guys. You didn't reach across religious boundaries or race boundaries at all. And yet these Christians are told there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. It says that in Galatians 3.28. Barriers of race and religion were broken down by these people. They crossed boundaries and lines. These Christian people would welcome in others into their homes who weren't necessarily followers of the Christ. They would reach out to those in other uh, religions and other races. And it's not just race and class that was broken down. Barriers of gender. In Rome, if you were a woman, you had little value of your own. In, in, in fact, if your husband just wanted to divorce you and send you out, you got nothing. If he wanted to take a new wife, hey, done with you, you're gone. In some places, women couldn't even leave their homes without a husband or a father with them. And yet, for these Christians, women had places of leadership. Women had important places in in this, in fact, you have Mary and Martha, followers of Jesus, who are key mentioned in the Bible. The people who discovered that Jesus was missing from the tomb were women. Priscilla taught men. Phoebe was a deaconess, a servant in the church. Tabitha was known for her generosity. Uh, Lydia funded a church herself, and most likely helped fund Paul's missionary journeys. It wasn't just the broken barriers of social networks that were broken down. It was also that these Christians lived different lives. They stood for what was right. At the time, abortion and infanticide were a thing. They killed babies if a baby was born deformed or had any problems or the family just didn't want him, they could drown their child and did. Rome had a plant called a sylphium plant. We don't know what it is today, but there was a plant that they wrote about called sylphium that was used to cause abortions in women so they wouldn't have to have children. But the Christians were different. The Christians, the church fathers stood against this kind of thing. And in fact... The Christians became known for adopting in those unwanted children. If somebody didn't want a child, these Christian believers would accept them in out of love. 
Adultery and divorce were an enormous problem in the Roman Empire. Like I told you, a man didn't have to worry about his wife at all. He could sleep around and it was no big deal. It was socially acceptable. And if he didn't want his wife anymore, he could get rid of her. But the Christians became known as being weird because they had marriages that stayed. They had families that were strong. There was something different and weird about these people. One of my favorite uh, historical lines about the Christians written by somebody who wasn't a Christian was Emperor Julian who wrote in a letter and said, I can't believe these Galileans, that's what they were called, followers of Jesus who grew up in Galilee. I can't believe these Galileans not only take care of their own poor, but they feed ours as well. He was embarrassed by the fact that as a Roman, Roman people weren't taking care of their own poor, but these weird Christian people were. That's what the Christians were known for. It was a theology of love. You see, Christians have sort of gained a reputation in our world today, sometimes well-earned, but sometimes not, of being angry or, or political or standing against everything, signs on the corner, bullhorns, the whole bit. Now, I've never seen anybody in this room participate in that sort of thing, but that's the name that has been gotten. That has been received, and sometimes it's earned. The, the angry, judgy, mean Christian that doesn't approve of anything. I'm not the only one that's heard of this, right? Okay. Just checking. But these believers were known as being different. They made peace in relationships when there were problems. They were generous. Even with people that They didn't know. They had this message that they spread everywhere. They participated in the marketplace, but they were a little bit different and a little bit weird. And it's all because of that life change. People around them saw them as different. Just like that Alan Naaman guy. His friends knew who he was. His friends knew he was generous with people. It's the news that caught on later and thought it was a big deal. They already knew he was kind of a weird guy and doing these things. So what do we do with all that information? I mean, we live in a time with communication like never before, right? Social media the ability to travel, all of that still exists. Barriers still exist. They've changed somewhat, but not all that much. They're still rich. They're still poor. They're still even slaves today. They're still men. They're still women. Now we've got a couple of extra categories today. Sexuality is still an issue. Adultery and divorce are still issues. Heck, single parenting is at an all-time high. The average is about 23% of kids born into single-family homes, but in some communities, it's as high as 72%. Christianity is the largest religion today. I think that's good. But we've only got a third of the world. There's still two-thirds yet to receive, or to reach out to. And we're in a better position than ever before. Told you Rome had 50,000 miles of roads. We have 140,000 right here in Arizona. In the United States, it's somewhere near four and a half million miles of roads. So we can get everywhere we need to be, right? But in the words of the great philosopher, Dr. Emmett Brown, from Back to the Future, 
Where we're going, we don't need roads. We've got the internet. We have the ability to spread God's message like never before. It's never been easier to live as Christians in the marketplace. And yet, here we are with Christianity slowly sinking as a religion here in the United States. It is growing in other parts of the world, so let's not get that wrong. But let's recognize that we still have this same message and this same calling to proclaim the Savior to the nations. We are called to do that, and I will tell you that every Christian is called to spread that message of Christ. Yes, there are evangelists who have that as a spiritual gift, people who are just naturals at it. God made them so good at it, they just have to say a few words and and people recognize the truth of Christ in it. But we are all called as believers to take this message out. It's harder in our time. The message is not popular. There's been plenty of times when it's not popular in history. But it's a difficult thing because it is an exclusive message. We say the only way to God is through Jesus because he said that. And so it's a little scary to say that out in public because people will call you narrow-minded. People will call you uh, bigoted to suggest that maybe there aren't 20 ways to God. We have that message and we have to proclaim it. And here's the thing, we all do. Even introverts. You can be as introverted as you want, but remember that Moses was embarrassed by how he talked and God still called him to do it. It doesn't matter how old you are either. Sometimes the thought is, well, if I'm older, I've served my time in the church. It's a young person's job now. But remember, Abraham was over 100 when God used him. And you don't get away with it if you're young either. Timothy was a young man when he was apprenticed to Paul. The disciples of Jesus were in their teens and early 20s. Doesn't matter how young or old you are, we're called to share that message with the people around us. Whether men, women, all of us, we're all called to do that. The key, I think, is it's important, is the same thing now as it was then, is the life change. That our lives look different. Look, we know that our, we are saved by grace. There are no works that we can do. Not a one of us can make our way to God without God. But the works that we're called to are works of ministry, works of message. We're called to do these things not to save us, but to take the salvation out to others that they may hear. The church is positioned to be a unique voice in our culture. If we are going about this action daily, being faithful, doing God's work, and spreading his message on a regular basis, we can be a voice for our culture, for the betterment of our culture. Not, not people who are angry and, and insisting that you have to vote one way or another because of God. Not people who are, are known for writing letters to the editor or disapproving of everything, but by being people of action. Like that guy, Alan Naiman, who his whole life said what he valued. Our whole lives can say what we value as followers of Christ. We can speak out about parenting issues. Those... With single-family homes, what if Christians took that as a responsibility? 
and help support those mothers that are at home where there's no dad around? What if we mentored those children? What about adopting and fostering children? The Christians then were known for adopting and fostering or adopting the unwanted kids. They didn't have fostering back then. But they adopted those unwanted children and took them in and protected them. What if Christians took that as a responsibility and began being those who adopted little ones? And if you can't do that, if you can't be someone who adopts a child, you can be someone who supports someone who adopts or fosters a child, who pours into their life. Uh, there are several of us in this church that have fostered and adopted. Can I get an amen? That's difficult. So having the support of the church around you, even if you're not one who's helping do that or who's doing that, you can be somebody who helps support the families that do. What about helping the poor? Today, right now, about two miles, well, let's get my directions correct. Two miles that way is a brother church, a sister church. And, the, uh, and ICE dropped off 100 immigrants there two days ago. 100 people that don't speak the language. A hundred people who don't know what's going to happen next. A hundred people who are scared and maybe a little hopeful, but they're here in this country. They came here. Whatever your feelings are on immigration and immigration issues, there's a hundred people that have just been dropped off with nothing at this church. Church is not a really rich church itself. It's another small church like us. In the last two days, I have watched as fellow churches have come around that one. Different groups of people to help support this group of 100 people that was dropped off there. We could do that. Couldn't we? We could help with that. If anybody wants to help with that, let me know. I'll put you in, charge with the, put you in touch with the person who's helping organize for them and getting them what they need. Benevolence to the poor. How can we be generous as a church? As Mountain View, the church, we, we always had a goal that it would be 10% of our uh, budget would be going to benevolence for the poor. And you know, as now the combined church of Campbell Community Church, I hope we'll keep that kind of concept going, that a percentage of what we bring in goes out to help others, goes out to help the poor. It's easy to say that as a church. Can each of us in this room say, you know what? A percentage of what I bring in ought to go to help others. And it doesn't have to come through Campbell Community Church. You can just help people when you see the need in your neighborhoods. If somebody around you is in need, you can help them. That, that, that single mom whose husband is off in Iraq or Afghanistan fighting you know she probably needs some financial help. The, the older, older lady who's the shut-in down the road, you know she probably could use a little bit of help with her food. One of the ongoing challenges that I've shared, I can't even tell you how many times around here, one of the things that I do occasionally is I'll buy a gift card at Fry's or Safeway. And I'll just start praying. I know somebody needs this card. Lord, show me who needs it. I've never made it out of the parking lot without seeing somebody that I just knew that's who I'm supposed to give this card to. It's fun to make people cry because you give them a card and say, you know, 
I don't know why, but God told me that you needed this today. And I've had ladies cry. It's almost always a lady, but it hasn't always been. But to be able to give to someone and help them. As a church, you may not know that this happened, but we just helped a lady here this Christmas. A woman whose husband left her and her kids just a few days before Christmas, about two weeks ago. And so the pastors got together and said, we need to take care of this person, make sure she's got a Christmas dinner, and make sure her kids have gifts. And so we did it. We didn't know the whole story, didn't know everything behind it, but we did. We, we used a little bit of benevolence and a little bit of donations that came from some, uh, the ladies in our Bible study. And so uh, a couple days before Christmas, we met the person and said, hey, we just wanted to make sure that your kids had a good Christmas. And she broke down crying. She said... I had gone to the dollar store because that was the only way I could get a couple gifts for my kids. Now, for me, that burden of a mom hurt my heart. But I was also proud to say that as believers, we could help this family. We can look different by being generous. We can look different by doing these things, to be generous peacemakers, making a difference in this world. You see, that Alan Neiman guy, the news was amazed by his story and have proclaimed it everywhere how cool this guy was and amazing that it was such a big surprise that at the end of his life he left all this money. But the truth is, his friends recognized his life was different. They knew him as being different. The question I have to ask myself, and I invite you to ask yourself is, would those people around me recognize that my life is different.